Amen. Good morning again, everybody. Good to see you. Good group today. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you being here. Nice fall day. Certainly more relaxing than it was last Sunday morning. And I know, uh, you know, we came and had a little security issue of our own, but boy, we were heartbroken about what happened in Texas, weren't we? And uh, it's mindful to me that we live in a different world, that a house of worship, even a house of worship is not a safe place. But you know, God watches over us and protects us. And uh, we have no fear. We, uh, we, we will make adjustments and, and the necessary precautions, but uh, we'll trust God to watch after us as he does day by day. You have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12, a troubling Difficult passage in the book of John, one that I've struggled with personally because, um, you know, what do, what do you say in a book that's filled with hope and joy and forgiveness and love? And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, we have this, an honest and frank assessment of the lack of faith that Jesus found in the world. The consequences of not believing so today I want to talk to you about the dangers of not believing. And uh, there is danger in that. John chapter 12, verse 35 through 50. I'll read it for you. Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. And Jesus said this and then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even though the rulers, even among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So they would not be banned from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Boy, let that never be said that, that we love human praise more than the praise of God. And Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal, is eternal life, so that the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly through it today for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The dangers of not believing. I am often asked... As I'm sure you are as believers, why do things happen the way they did? Why would God allow such violence? How can people be the way 
they were that a man who walked with a community could come into a church and kill 28 people. How can you do that? And I don't have an easy answer. I don't think that there is an easy answer except to say that people uh, have their own free will. God has given us a mind. We are created in the image of God. And part of that image is the ability and the power and the authority to make decisions. And some of those decisions are good and some of those are bad. And all of us make those decisions. God allows us that freedom. I, I think you know by now that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's filled with sinful people and sinful ideas. Many people scoff at the word of God. Many people don't know about it. Many people willfully disobey it. They, they know it. They've learned it. They've heard it. They just don't do it. I've been guilty of that myself. I, maybe you have. And I think right there explains the terrible escalating violence that we see in our world. I, I think you've got as a believer to make sense of this. You gotta be able to say how this fits in. I don't know that we can understand it or comprehend man's sin and depravity, but we have to know that God has given us a will. He's given us his word. He's given us a standard to which to live by. He's given us his Holy Spirit to God believers, but he allows us to make choices. And so then I wonder when I ponder this, why does God wait so long before he sets things right? Haven't you said that? Listen, when's God going to settle this? When's he going to fix this? And the Bible teaches us that he doesn't fix it. He doesn't settle it because he's trying to wait out of his love and long suffering. I saw author W. Pink, who wrote a book called The Attributes of God, said, how wondrous is God's patience with the world today? On every side, people are sinning with a high hand. Divine law is trampled and God is openly despised. It's truly amazing he doesn't instantly strike us dead, those people that brazenly defy him. Why doesn't he suddenly cut off the haughty infidel and the blatant blasphemer as he did Ananias and Sapphira? Why does he not cause the earth to open its mouth and devour the persecutors of his people? And what about apostate Christians where every possible form of sin is tolerated practiced under the cover of the holy name of Christ. Why not the righteous wrath of heaven to end everything? The only answer that is possible is because God bears with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. How about that? God has shown remarkable restraint through history. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. In a sermon on long-suffering, Charles Spurgeon said, We've waited for our Lord's coming in the dead of the night and looked out for him in the gates of the morning. Have, have, you, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to bed at night and, and you had a bad day and you've been overwhelmed by events? Say, Lord, I just wish you'd come back. Or you get up in the morning and say, He didn't come back. Maybe he'll come back today. Through the gates of the morning, expected him in the heat of the day, reckoned that he might come, but yet another sun went down. And he's not here. He waits. He waits very long. Will he not come? Long-suffering is that which keeps him from coming. He's bearing with men and women, not the thunderbolt, not yet the, riv- the riven heavens and the reeling earth, not yet the great white throne and the day of judgment, for he's patient and he bears long with us men, even to the cries of his own elect who cry day and night for him. He's not quick to answer, for he's patient, he's slow to anger, and he's plenteous in mercy. 
the fact that God doesn't act doesn't mean that he won't. And the Bible, through all of the Old and New Testament, tells us that God is just, merciful, and loving, but he is also holy and righteous. One day he'll reclaim the earth to the way it was originally designed. We're studying that in the book of Revelation now. That God will reclaim the earth. He'll, he'll punish and judge the earth for its sin, and he'll bring believers back into fellowship in heaven for eternity. That's who God is. This passage in John is a troubling passage. It's near the end of Jesus' ministry. Now, I know we're kind of off track a little bit because we would usually be at this passage if we were preaching in the season of, of his death and crucifixion. We would, we would um, do this around springtime. But Jesus' earthly ministry is about to end. And in this account, he will leave his disciples after proclaiming that the world has largely rejected him. And, and even though Christ was sent as a Messiah and Savior to the nation of Israel, most of Israel would not be a believer. The organized church in Jerusalem would stand against him formally and would cause his crucifixion within a few days of this writing. Jesus had ministered. He left to largely 11 men who were still faithful to him. He had one who would betray him. He had invested his life in these men. He'd had crowds of people that followed him, but a lot of them had left him and abandoned him. And so he said in verse 35, and I want to get to my first point, that he makes one last call to believe. We need to hear it. Jesus said, the light will be with you only a little longer. You have to walk while you have the light so the darkness doesn't overtake you. Jesus is saying that we have a little bit longer. That the time for a decision is limited. It's fixed. It's a set time. Oh, we could say the same thing in our lives. We could say that we have a fixed time. We have a time to decide. Jesus said a little longer. You have to walk while you have the light so the darkness doesn't overtake you. You see, the only way that darkness can win out over light is for there to be no light. If you turn on a light, the darkness is gone. It disappears. Um, But if there is no light, the darkness will overtake you. The one who doesn't, who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. Our, our sidewalk at our house from our driveway is pretty dark. Uh, my good friend Richard gave Debbie and I a little flashlight that we put on our keychain that we turn on the flashlight. Debbie does not want to step on the snails that walk across our sidewalk. And so we have to be very careful not to step on them because when they get inside, they are a mess. And so we're very careful. Because you can walk along our, dry, our sidewalk at night and you can't see any of the snails. Now, we don't have a lot of them, just a couple every night. But with a light, we see everything. There's no problem. You see, the light will cover it. Jesus said, listen, I'm coming into the world to bring light into your life. But I'm only going to be here for a little while. Now, now with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have Christ in our life all the time. He's in the world until God comes back and takes him out. But right now, the light of the Holy Spirit's in the life. But they're believers, or they're, they're non-believers who don't have the light of Christ in their life. And the time of decision is short. It's, it's a limited time. And, and whether, whether we're like Spurgeon and we wake up one morning and Christ returns and, and, and brings the church home.
to heaven. What, what a great day that'll be. Wouldn't it be great, AJ, if next Sunday we worshiped in heaven? And that's possible. That's possible. Christ will come back one day. He'll come back, and, and according to the Bible, he could come back any time. That time is of his choosing. Jesus said the light is only here for a limited time. You and I know that the light in our life is only here for a limited time. We only have a, you know, we, we think that life goes on and on. I mean, I'm 62 years old and I, I think life goes on and on, but yet all around me, I see evidence that it doesn't. I see, I, I get up every morning. The first thing that I read in the paper are the obituaries. Why is that? And I'm always amazed at how young everybody is in the obituary page. Now it used to be young was 20, but now young is 60. And there are a lot of 60-year-olds. Time is short. God, God gives us an opportunity. He gives us time to operate in the light. But one day, the decision's gone. Jesus said that just as fast as it came, the light would go out of the world. His presence would be gone from the world. And just, just as fast as it, it is here with us today... You and I won't have the opportunity to choose. The most important thing that you and I decide is whether we followed Christ, whether we believe. Jesus said to the nation of Israel, there's great danger in not believing. Because if they didn't believe, they would walk in the darkness. And and, and Israel would reject Christ by and large uh, entirely. Just as the prophets had said they would that he would do that. We, we've got to be careful that... Uh, we don't lose the opportunity. The, the last verse in this passage in verse 36. And Jesus saw this and went away and hid from them. That was the end of his earthly ministry. He's gone. All the miracles, all the teachings, all the sermons, all the crowds. He said that and he left. And from then on, Jesus would appear only to his disciples. He would he would minister to them. He would teach them and instruct them. We're going to spend weeks studying what he taught them. The, the one-to-one discussions that he had with his disciples. But no more public ministry. The next time the gospel would go to the public would be through the Holy Spirit after he was resurrected. It's a sad time. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that those who were his own did not receive him. It's a sad fact. Today, we have a lot of people that reject Christ. You you know, I take that personal. You think, why are our churches filled? We have a great message. We have a gospel of eternal life, of salvation, of deliverance from sin. But yet our churches, uh, I mean, even in Little Walnut Cove, if we could get most people to church, we would have to have five services a day to fill them. But most people are indifferent. And that's the way they were in the day of Jesus. There's a day, the time, the opportunity will be gone. Number two, John shows us some causes for unbelief. He says in verse 37 that even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they still didn't believe in him. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but if you ever think about the church and you think about how successful we ought to be, just remember how it was in the day of Jesus, that Jesus performed miracles for three and a half years. Thousands of people saw him, but in the end, almost all of them left him. They didn't make a permanent impact in the lives of a lot of people. Their unbelief, even in the face of the miraculous work of God, overwhelmed 
what God was doing. It's sad but true. But more people will hear the gospel than will respond it. Many people will hear it maybe time and time again. Maybe year after year. Maybe, maybe, maybe a few times. But many of those will reject it. Salvation is never a willful decision on your part. You don't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject the gospel up to a point and then I'm going to accept it. We accept the gospel when the Holy Spirit begins working and changing in our life. We can't do that on our own. But John gives us a couple of reasons uh, for our disobedience. First, he shows us just the willful disobedience of people. In, in verse uh, in verse 38, he says, this was fulfilled the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said, the Lord, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Isaiah is talking about the rejection of the message of God to the people of Israel. And to the question about who, who will believe our message, not many. Not many. Comparatively few, really. And throughout history, many have heard the word of God. Many knew about the word of God, but not a lot have followed it and obeyed it and submitted to it. And so throughout the nation of Israel, throughout since Christ came, we see the willful disobedience. People that heard the word and said, I'm just not going to do that. I hear that a lot today. I don't believe the Bible. I don't, I don't think the Bible has any authority in my life. I've heard that stated this week. The, the Bible is a meaningless, outdated book. Modern interpretations of God's word. Some people are going to hear the word and willfully disobey it. And then Isaiah shows us that there's even another reason. This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said that God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That's a troubling thing right there. I now, now would God actually harden the hearts of, of a person and keep them from believing? AJ and I had a discussion about that this week. You know, that's one of the things that really troubles people. Would God really do that? And so what the Bible really teaches us is that God only does that after he's honoring what people have done with their life. After they willfully disobey day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, God says, okay, if that's what you want, you can have that. Book of Romans says that God gave them over to the desires of the heart. After people sin to a certain point, after they do a certain amount of things, God says, that's what you want to do. That's what you can do. And he hardens their heart. Their heart's not receptive to the gospel. They're in in deep spiritual trouble. D.A. Carson said, God's judicial hardening is not presented as the capricious manipulation of an arbitrary God who curses neutral or morally pure human beings, but as a holy condemnation of guilty people who are condemned to do what they themselves have chosen. God is giving us the fruit of our desire and hardens our heart. There's danger in disbelief. It can go on long enough that that's who we are. But, 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 I, but uh, John tells us in verse 42, there were some who did believe. But they didn't really want to step out and say anything about it. Then for, in 42, it says, many did believe in him among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they didn't confess him. You see, there were some people who in private believed in Jesus. They they would get off on the side and say, you know, he's a good guy. I kind of like that. But we can't say that out loud because we'll get in trouble. We'll lose our position in the synagogue. We'll uh, We'll lose our job. We'll lose the recognition and the praise that we have from other people. And there's a lot of people like that today who might come here today and be 
intellectual agreement with what I'm saying. But they walk out and don't want to live what Christ has told them. They don't want to stand up for him. They don't, they don't want to, they don't want to say anything about him. They, they wouldn't even let their friends know that they're a believer. And that's why Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 10, he said in verse 32, therefore everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I'll deny him before my father in heaven. Now, now speaking a witness to Christ is not the measure of our salvation. Our faith in Christ is what saves us. But Jesus is saying is one of the fruits that comes out of that is that we naturally will speak about him in public. If we're ashamed of our faith, we got to look at where our heart is with Christ. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We can't, we can't just persist in unbelief. We can't just say, well, I, I'm just this way. I, I'm just not one of those Christians that likes to get out and talk about him. We need to obey him. We need to be a Christian all the time. We, we need to listen to him. I, I think, I think there are people that can come. I think we can come to church and be inoculated against real faith. That's a scary kind of word, but it means that we get enough of the Bible that we are satisfied in our own mind. But not enough to really do the kingdom of God any good. Jesus said there were people, or John told us, the people in the nation of Israel who believed. Who believed. But they wouldn't tell anybody about it. They didn't want anybody to know they were believers. They just kept it quiet. And so when Israel came, most of the people rejected him. Don't be satisfied. Today, if you're far away from Christ... Don't be satisfied with that. Draw close to him. Get involved in his word. Draw, get, get involved in prayer with him. Go, go to God and, and his word. Seek after him. And God will return to you. Finally, I want to show you the terrible consequences of unbelief. Jesus gives us that. He says in, um, he says in the very first, in verse 44, he said, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. He, he, he is giving us the impossibility of believing in God and rejecting Jesus. You and I don't have a lot of trouble with that. We follow that pretty well. For the Jews, that was a big deal. Many Jews believed in God, had a hard time believing in Jesus. There are Jews today that would be the same way. Most of us Christians, we're pretty good with that idea about Jesus. We accept that Christ is the way to God. So that passage of scripture is okay with us. And and so there's, thus in verse 45, the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. We have a picture when we look at Jesus of what God looks like. We've never seen God. Very few men in the Bible ever encountered God personally. But thousands of people encountered God through Jesus. So we can look at the New Testament and we can read about Christ and we have an exact picture of what God looked like. That's who he was. So if you ever want to know, if you ever want to see, if you want to know the attributes of God, get in the New Testament and read about Christ. The things that, that Jesus said, he said, I and the Father are one. What Jesus did, God the Father told him to do. But then he says in verse 47, or verse 46, he says, I've come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in the darkness. I, 
I think that's a great passage of scripture. That's, that's almost like John 3, 16. It's almost, almost the same, almost the same scripture. Everybody who believes in me, everybody who believes in Christ will not remain in the darkness. That's an absolute statement. There, there are no qualifications to it. There's no but to that. There's, there's no exception clause. There's nobody that's done stuff so bad that you can't believe in Christ and have a new relationship with him. There, there's nobody. I, th- I think that's a wonderful statement. May, maybe you've strayed away. Maybe, maybe you haven't been a, the kind of believer you need to be. Maybe you haven't followed him the way you need to be. You, you can come back to him and you can walk in the, in the light with him. That's, that's what he promises. That's, that's an absolute truth. No, and whoever, nobody that believes in him will remain in the darkness. I think that's encouragement because we live in a pretty dark world. You know, you, you can get up in the morning, be discouraged by the headlines, all beat down by the things around you. You can realize that you have the light of Christ in your life. Isn't that great, church? I mean, that'll change the way you live. That'll change your whole perspective. You can have a, you know, I hear this. You, I have a, people say I have a lousy job. I don't have a lousy job. I have a great job. I would never say I have a lousy job. But I hear people say I have a lousy job. You can say I have a lousy job, but I have the light of Christ in my life. I have, I have encouragement. I have no reason. I have something a lot bigger in my work. You, with Christ, you, it's always better. You will never walk in the darkness. You'll never walk. Now, you might be discouraged sometimes. You, you might be overwhelmed like everybody else is, but you can come back to him and you're encouraged again. You're built up. You can get into the word of God. You can come and worship. We worshiped last week at the Baptist State Convention. Had some great sessions of worship. This morning here in our own sanctuary, we had great worship. You know, I, I can be so encouraged by worship, by coming together with God's people. I can't sing very well, but I sing as best I can. And it just fills up my heart. The hymns of faith that we have. Sometimes hymns of faith can move us a long way. The word of God can move us. Sometimes preaching can move us. In fellowship with other believers. That's why we need to come together. That's why I'm really encouraged. I look out there and a lot of people here, a lot of people need to be here to hear God's word. To sing his praises. To come together as a church. To celebrate what we have in Christ. Because when we have him, we don't remain in the darkness. But then Jesus said, if anybody hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge them. For I didn't come to the world to judge the world, but to save it. In his first coming, Jesus did not come as a judge. He came as a savior. He came and walked among people. He came to present the gospel message to people. He came to fill people up with his Holy Spirit. He came to sacrifice himself for sin. He didn't come as a judge. He didn't, he didn't come. I mean, he came as a little baby. He came in a manger. That's just an amazing fact that Christ came, that the son of God became a baby to show us how much he loves us. He did that for us. In his second coming, he'll come as a judge. He'll come, he'll come to right the wrongs. He'll come to settle the score with the people that have been disobedient. He'll come to, to, to reclaim the world. And all of us will give an account. Jesus said that he didn't come the first time to judge us. But he says in verse 48, the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as a judge. That the word I've spoken will judge him on the last day. You and I will be judged by the word of God. 
Now you might say, well, Jim, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think God is that kind of God. Well, you just about have to rip out most of the Bible to believe that kind of God that wouldn't do that. Because the Bible is filled with God's righteous judgment of the world. So the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my saying has this as a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. So when Jesus came to the world, the nation of Israel and many of the people that preached to him rejected his word. They will be judged by the word of God. You, you and I live in a world by people that have rejected the word of Christ. They will be judged by the word of Christ. John tells us that God, as people persist in their sin, that God may harden their hearts for those who are unwilling, then become unable to believe. But you and I, we have a choice. We all have a choice about what to believe and who to, to follow. God lets us choose. If you're a believer today, then, then celebrate your faith. Celebrate what God's done for you. If you're one of those folks that's just on the fence, that's right there in the middle, then make a stand for him. And say, I'm on his side. I'm on his team. I, don't, I, want, I, want, I want to follow him with everything that I have. Because God wants us to believe in him, to follow him. He wants us to be forgiven. But you and I have to choose. Today, we have to choose between light and darkness. Jesus said it was that. We have to choose between death and life. People that aren't believers are literally choosing between death and life. We have to choose between Jesus and the world. You can't generally have both. Jesus will have us in the world, but we we won't really be a part of the world. We literally choose between heaven and hell. And there's a fixed time to decide. I think there's a season of urgency. I I think the events of our world show us that at least the world is becoming more sinful and more out of control. The way God said that it would in the end days. We don't know when the end is. We don't know if Christ will come back today or he'll wait a hundred years. Or we don't know if, if our life, this is the last time that we gather together as a church. Some of us here today need to choose who we follow. Do we follow Christ in all that you do? Or do you follow your own interests, your own investments, your own career, your own relationships? But 30 seconds after we die, our relationship with Christ is the only thing that matters. Of all the decisions and all the things that we've spent our time on, of all the things that we've done, 30 seconds after we die, the only thing that will have mattered is what we did with Christ. The only thing of eternal value. And I think the words in verse 43 are especially troubling to this generation of Christians. For they loved human praise more than they loved the praise of God. I pray that's not what they would say about us. That we cap our witness silent because we didn't want to offend the people around us. Do you believe in Jesus today? Do you have the light of Christ in your life? Does he illuminate your path? Does he encourage you and fill you up with his presence? Jesus said that I came into the world to be a light so that everyone who believes would not remain in the darkness. Regardless of what goes on around you, if you have Christ, 
you won't have the darkness. It's not hard to believe. And I think one of the really important things for us to be able to convey is what, the, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? First of all, we have to believe that we're a sinner, that we need salvation. We have to get to the point that we know that what we've done has offended a holy God. We, we have to know that Christ came to save us. We have to believe in him and trust him and give him our life. Give him our life. Let him, let him have control of our life. Paul says that when he gave his control of his life to Christ, that his own life ended. He, he was dead. He said, I was dead in my old ways. And then we trust Christ to forgive us. We give it to him. And then we live for him. We try to obey him. We try to grow stronger in him. We try to serve him. We, we gather around with other believers. We, we try to spread his name. We try to do what he's called us to do. That's what being a believer in Jesus means. Have you believed in Christ today? It's the most important thing that you do. I pray that all of you will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank that you speak to us regardless of our own faults and failures. That you love us. That you know us far better than we know ourselves. That you call us to you. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that doesn't know you, that they will respond today. We, we just ask that you be with us, that your spirit guide and direct every person to make any decision that needs to be made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.